There's two things a person needs to know how to make. And it's a very old discussion about woodworking is everything is either a box or a platform. So if you can make a box and you can make a table, basically all projects are just variations of those two things. And so I'm a real big believer in starting out with make yourself a table. Uh, A coffee table is a great place to start. It's small. It's low risk. You don't have to use a lot of wood in it. And then just make a small box, a crate or something, and you'll learn a lot. That was Steve Ramsey. I'm Rich Bolas, and this is the Dad Mindset Show. This week, we talk with Steve Ramsey, who's been teaching woodworking on his YouTube channel, Woodworking for Mere Mortals, for over 15 years. Millions of people all over the world have watched his videos, and tens of thousands have used his advice, including me, to create their first wood projects. Steve is a firm believer that absolutely anyone can build unique, practical, beautiful pieces out of wood. And he's a big advocate of not needing fancy tools, a big garage or years of experience to do it. If you've ever entertained the idea of making something out of wood, but kept putting it off, I think you're going to love this chat with Steve Ramsey. Steve Ramsey, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, first up, Steve, I've got to thank you massively for for helping me make picture frames and a host of other things for the first time in my life because I've wanted to fill my house with pictures, which we do, but they've never been framed cohesively and, and looked right. good. Whereas like when I watched your video on simple picture framing, oh, it's just made it so clear. And so massive thank you. I mean, not only picture frames. I mean, here, I've got one here for you to see. I thought... Oh, see that's that's beautiful. And you you put the little splines on the on the corners and everything to help hold it together. Yeah, I mean, see, once you make a picture frame, you're going to be making those a lot of picture frames because everybody's going to want a picture frame now. And every time somebody brings a new piece of artwork or your kid makes a new piece of artwork, everybody's going to say, you know, it would be nice is a frame for that piece of artwork. (laughs) Yeah, but that was something that was so intimidating because I've always thought, like, and I'm talking like probably 25 years, I've thought it would be cool to make picture frames because it just makes art, whatever the art is, even if it's like, I've got another one here of like Will, he drew a little robot. And, and I, lo- it's like, I love the artwork. I love the artwork. <laughs> and, and like putting it in a picture frame, just it's the biggest difference you can make. It's huge. Making a picture frame for something just enhances the art so much. And there's a it, picture frames are interesting because it's a because it can enhance the art or it can also take away from it. I know a lot of people once they get involved in picture frames, they they oftentimes want to try to go. F- full bore and make it as ornate as possible. And sometimes the, the picture frame outshines the artwork, you know, <laughs> so you kind of got to work this balance there. <laughs> well, you've said that on your YouTube channel quite a bit as well, like how, especially when you're making simple boxes, how a lot of people dive into woodwork and they think they've got to make it ornate and fancy to show off their chops. Whereas actually it's the other side of complexity. It's like the simplicity. And, and if you can really nail that you sort of intimate that it's the simplicity that really shows the craft i guess yeah it does because then you can really focus on those details that you can overlook that viewers to a project or people who are looking at something that's made that is overly complex kind of get lost in all of this stuff and they're they're not paying attention to those details which can be sloppy or not very good and I'm a big believer in trying to find simplicity in everything I make. And this has been kind of an evolution of mine over the past 10 or 15 years or so is 
I really think that this is a skill that can only be achieved through experience and through time and effort. We have to try to really work at trying to boil things down to what their essence is and try to explore that. And I think, yeah, any project made with simplicity that's well-made is a sign of sophistication, really, and, and experience. And I think that's the best way to show off your skills in any creative pursuit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think certainly it it makes it feel like a lower bar to actually gain entry to as well. I had a table saw in the shed and I didn't actually use it for about six months. And it was just intimidating. And and so <laughs> it's I, loud, man. You turn that thing on and bam, oh, it's noisy. And it can mess you up. You yeah, talk extensively about safety and everything. So and then I happened across your your YouTube channel and some of the videos just made it feel like I had a friend sort of sat next to me going, Hey, you know, hand on my shoulder. Hey, that thing's not that difficult. You just gotta think about these, you know, five to seven things and then you're good to go. So can you talk a, a bit about the evolution of those sort of introductory videos of introducing, p- getting people across that sort of initial hurdle into woodwork? Yeah, that's always been kind of the mission of my channel on YouTube, which I started coming up on 15 years here. I can't believe it's been that long. But my mission has always been to teach beginning woodworkers what they need to know just to get started in woodworking, because I think that's the biggest hurdle you have to make is getting started. The nuance of woodworking, there's plenty of other ways to learn that. There's plenty of people that are teaching that. But in order to get past those initial hurdles, like getting over the intimidation factor of a table saw or really any power tool can be intimidating at first because they can be jerky. They can be loud. You're not really quite sure where to position your body. And if you have somebody who can just break that down and tell you, okay, if you're going to use a table saw, here's where you need your body to be. Here's where your hands need to be. Here are some of the things that could potentially go wrong. Here are some things that could potentially go horribly wrong (laughs) and how to avoid those things. And it's not that difficult to use any power tool safely, but you definitely need that Uh, initial instruction of what to expect and i think that's the important thing yeah and i know one of your videos discusses how to set up a wood shop i mean what do you defines a wood shop like how small could someone start i've known people who started out working in an apartment and worked with hand tools so it wasn't too loud for the neighbors and I've known people who do scroll saw work in a small apartment because it doesn't take up much space and it doesn't create much dust. But I'm a big believer in the idea that anybody can set up a workshop in a very limited space. Usually that's a garage or a basement in most people's homes. And when you say a garage, I'm lucky enough that I've commandeered my entire garage for for 20 plus years now and there's never been cars parked in here but a lot of people don't have that luxury and they have a smaller or they have a less space in the garage because they do need to park their cars in there and share that space so it's totally doable you just need a small area to keep your tools and an area to drive your car out to the driveway, pull your tools out, and then you can start working. It doesn't take up a lot of space at all. And I, I have a course that I teach on how I 
to put everything on wheels. As long as everything is mobile, you're good to go. You just push it all back up against the wall and bring it out whenever you're ready to ready to work. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's like that's one of the things I've got to do because like there's this big bench in the middle that I have to keep walking around. And I keep bumping into things. I love the way you talk about horizontal surfaces as well. What's the problem you find with horizontal surfaces, Steve? Gosh. Horizontal surfaces are the bane of my existence. <laughs> Wherever there's a horizontal surface, it's going to collect junk. I, it, and I don't know, for a long time, I thought, well, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just I am just that kind of a person. That I, But I've talked to a lot of people, and they all kind of agree that it's just like that. Even your table saw, when it's not in use and the blade is down and everything, you're going to set things on there. You know, you're, you're working on other things, and you set them there, and this is something that especially this year. I'm right now in the midst of trying to reorganize my shop and I'm trying to figure out ways to deal with clutter that seems to accumulate on these horizontal spaces. And what I found is really that clutter that accumulates on horizontal spaces because it doesn't really have a permanent home. And there's nothing new about this. I think a lot of people already know you need a spot for everything. But I took this a little bit deeper and started looking at why aren't I putting these things away where I think they should go. And it's because the places where they should go are also filled with junk. <laughs> and so, so, so the place to start for me, and this is what I'm working on right now is going through my cabinets, is I'm pulling all of the junk out of the cabinets. And I'm doing this kind of Marie Kondo, touch everything, kind of, you know, ask if it sparks joy. <laughs> and if it doesn't, then I'm getting rid of it. Because I think what happens is that the cabinets just become a spot to cl- to transfer clutter from one place to another. So as long as I can get those organized, then I'll have a space for everything. And so I'll start putting things away. And anything I'm left with that's still on my workbenches and other horizontal surfaces, then I can look at those few things. Hopefully, there's going to be a few things and think, why don't these have a home? And then I've got to figure out what do they best go with? Is it a finishing supply? Is it for cutting wood? Is it for assembling projects? And try to work out. If I need to, I'll have to build something to store them in. Although I don't recommend just automatically building or creating more storage. That's not always the solution to the problem. (laughs) (laughs) I think decluttering is is always always a concern, uh, not just for woodworkers, but for anybody. I personally can get much more done in my shop when I come out here and everything is tidy and swept up and clean. It's just, it's a mindset. It's a dad mindset, you might say, (laughs) that I can walk into my shop and I feel like, yes, now I'm ready to go. And it's not quite as daunting to think, oh, well, yeah, but there's sawdust on the floor and I've left these tools out for the day before. All of this stuff is woodworking adjacent that you never really think about when you start woodworking but it, it comes in there and at some point uh, it i couldn't agree more it, it, firstly it makes me feel really <laughs> seen because i thought i was just oh, i'm just one of those people because the amount of junk that just builds up and then you're looking it's at crazy. it and you're like oh man i i don't want to waste a whole day just sorting all that out it's uh, but you feel so good when it's done and i feel like it's just not having a, a system in place and two thoughts it's almost like tidying your kid's bedroom there's this idea that if you pick something up 
you want to put it down, but you don't know where it goes or there's something else in the way. And I, I like the the idea, well, we, we would often do it with the kids, is get them to just put a big cardboard box in the middle of the room. And then if you pick something up, if it doesn't belong there, chuck it in the box. That's the only task. So they're not even doing two things. They're just doing one thing. Does this live here? No, put it in the box. And oh. so, and then from the box, then it, once the whole room's tidy, then you then you go the other way, like out of the box onto the shelves and it is only focusing on one thing at once because right. i found myself did at the weekend i've got this big sort of drawer in my wardrobe that junk just collects in you know when you empty your pockets and stuff like that and it, it was full and i brought it down and i looked in it and went all right um there's a lot of stuff in here i don't need so i'll just i'll just take the stuff out that i don't need and it was taking me forever and in the end i just tipped the whole thing upside down and went nah i gotta start afresh so i just like just had this fresh. pile of junk all over the bed but then it was so easy and i put like six items in put it back in it was completely clear but then i had a big pile of junk on the bed right. and, and for me that that batching of tasks really works but if i try to do it all at once it's so hard so hard <laughs> well do you, have, do you have lego in your house oh yes yeah so that that to me, when my son was little, was one of those things that we figured out an organization system using these hardware drawers, you know, their little drawer, individual drawers, you can keep like screws, nuts and oh, bolts yeah. or whatever, all these little bitty drawers and they're different sizes. Well, we got one case of those filled. We got a second and a third. We ended up with four of these big, huge, <laughs> and, and we labeled everything. Every drawer was like, these are tires, these are plants, oh, wow. these are studs, these are like uh, all the different sizes. Everything has a name, you know. And that was all well and good, but he was like nine, ten years old, <laughs> and the stuff would be on the floor, and they'd be like, God damn, can you pick this stuff up? It's everywhere. And then that just became a thing where it's like, no, I don't want to. So it was really hard, even though there were those places existed. It was a daunting task when there are thousands of Lego bricks on the floor just to to make that initial move because it it could take an hour. And so I I never knew if the solution was like, okay, every time you're done playing, you've got to put things away now or do a one once a week thing. We kind of tried both, but it never really Never really worked. I no, don't I don't know the solution to Lego. I I think the the thing that I've <laughs> the place I've reached now, Steve, is I, I heard this great advice of when you walk into a bedroom and you, you you stub your toe on a drawer that's left out, or you push the wardrobe door and it won't close because the drawers of all like every single drawer is left like right out, and and you sort of curse under your breath and stuff, and and I sort of sort of forecast myself to twenty years forward and go, you know what? When they've left home, this room is going to stay spotless the whole time, yeah. and and I'm going to miss them being here. And so, just let go of you know this this like angst right now that they're not tidying up, and just like yeah, yeah, what you just got to let it go. Just let it go. Yeah. It's not that important, and it's more important just to embrace the fact that they're still here, and and that sort of let me hold on to my sanity with the room clutteredness. (laughs) I think that's where we ended up with the Lego is that it wasn't uh, the Legos getting all over the floor and starting to get worse and worse was more of a sign of of his kind of growing out of Lego and not playing with them as much. And and that was actually sort of a, a sad time in a way i'm like well then we at some point we've got to make a decision because we had a whole area of this room kind of devoted to, to lego and we had to finally say are you ready to kind of put these away for now and 
And he finally was. He was like, yeah, that's okay. I'm like, okay, but I am not giving these things up. You have too many of these. So <laughs> I, I took this big, huge plastic wrap and just wrapped up all of those those storage units. And uh, I still have them. So someday. What sort of age? What, what sort of age do you reckon Wyatt sort of? He was that? probably 12 or 13 when he just kind of was done with them. The funny thing is, is now as an adult, he's kind of rediscovered a couple of these kits because now they're making them for adults. Yeah. You know, they're making these really serious model kits and you can build the Taj Mahal or whatever. <laughs> and they're like, like, get away, kids. This is dad working <laughs> yeah. on Lego. I've got a friend who buys himself Star Wars Lego for Christmas for himself and he builds it alongside his son, but his son's sort of outgrown it now and he still does it. He's like yeah. <laughs> totally embracing one. his inner child. We actually bought Annie one of the plants. She wanted one of the Lego plants for Christmas the year before last. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Why, why would you buy a Lego plant? She spent you know, a day making it and then put it on the dining table. And it was actually really nice. I was like, it's cool. Was it like they have a bonsai tree too, which is really cool. And all of the the blooms on it are the little frogs. It's really clever (laughs) the way this thing made. You get hundreds of these little pink frogs and that's that's the foliage on this is is just brilliant. There's there's a TV show in Australia that's gone nuts. It's called Lego Masters. And and it's fantastic. Have you got it in the States? We have. I haven't seen it, but I, I, it looks interesting. It's so good, but the, one of the, the key things is using a part for something that it's not actually designed to be used for. Uh, that, yeah. Like You get extra sort of kudos. Like, I like this non, <laughs> non-specific sort of uh, yeah. use of this. And it, I and, love that. And it sort of goes back a bit to woodworking, doesn't it? In the sense of, mm-hmm. you know, you don't, there's no right way, you often say in your channel, to do something. Right. I, th- I think that's one of the things I love about woodworking and why, to me, to me, it's the perfect hobby because it never gets old. There is never going to be a time where I'm like, well, that's it. I- I've learned everything. I can build anything. I'm just, it's easy. Because every single project I've made in my entire life is an individual thing. I don't batch out projects or anything. So every single one is new. And each one of those projects comes with its own set of challenges that have to be faced in the order of operations that has to be figured out before I start doing it. And almost to a fault, every single project I make, I'm going to run into some sort of a problem that needs to be corrected. And I really like that aspect of woodworking, that there's always going to be that sort of a challenge of overcoming something that, at least when you start woodworking, you may think, well, I'm going to have to start all over again. I have to tear this apart, get new wood. But there's almost always ways to fix problems. There's almost always ways to make it right, no matter what you're building, or maybe just change the design a little bit. It's very free-flowing woodworking is. Yeah, uh, I I love that. And what actually got you into woodworking in the first place, Steve? Well, I started woodworking probably when I was about 12 with my dad and my grandfather. My grandfather was one of these guys who liked to kind of putter around more than actually build anything. But I remember... <laughs> was I he the guy sweeping the floor all the time? Yeah. And he would he had this, this really nice workbench. He had a corner of their garage. And I remember he built the workbench out there and he was... He had a he was one of these people who did have everything organized and kept it that way because I don't think he did a lot of woodworking, but he loved <laughs> being out in that shop. And he would 
but he had everything in position. And I loved going out there and just kind of hanging out with him. And he may have, he may be fixing a stool or something that my grandma needed done. And, but it was just being out there with him, seeing him use these tools um, that really got me interested in like the, the almost the romantic nature of spending time in a work, in a workshop. My dad, on the other hand, was one of these DIYers who liked to just kind of fix things and do things. He would, you know, build a new roof over the porch or or put in a new patio and, and fix the broken stairway or all these different types of things. And I would always be interested and I would always help him out with these things. And one time that he must have gotten, I don't know, I should ask him about this one of these days because I remember him very well. He bought this thing called a shopsmith. I don't know if you know what a shopsmith is. Is it, is it like the workmate? Like the black? No, it's it's a machine that has like all these different uses. It can convert to a, from a table saw to a drill press to oh, right. a lathe and all these different tools. They still make these things. It's it's kind of crazy. There's like these these really small group of people who are just passionate about their <laughs> shopsmiths. But he got one because we had a small space in the basement. And I guess he wanted to just start doing some woodworking. And that was what got me interested because of the table saw, which was really cool, uh, the way that that worked on there. And it had a lathe. And I think some of my very first projects were turning things on a lathe, which to me was very creative and very there's no wrong way to turn something on a lathe so you know for a year or so everybody was getting candlesticks for christmas <laughs> and birthdays <laughs> it was like yeah here you go i'm sure everybody was kind of thrilled with oh great another candlestick from steve but <laughs> it was it was really fun and it really got me interested in that and so that I, I kept that up um throughout my life i would always kind of build things whenever i could or whatever i had access to a shop and then Years later, when I moved to San Francisco, we were in an apartment. I didn't have room for a shop, but I still had some handheld power tools. So I could take those up on the roof of the apartment and I could build things up there. And that was also kind of satisfying. Again, you can build things wherever you are, as long as you're creative and just have an extension cord and a place where people aren't going to mind a little bit of noise, I guess. <laughs> Unless you do hand tool woodworking, and that's pretty quiet. Well, and you make but sure that, it's you make things small enough to get back down the stairwell. <laughs> and you, right, <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, there's going to be a, there's a permanent bookcase on top of that apartment right now. Yeah, yeah. But it's amazing that you just said that, Steve. That actually just brought back fresh memories for me because I remember my dad had a lathe and and i oh, think really? it was actually one of the first memories i have of working with him in the in the garage and actually turning out candlesticks and and you're right everyone yeah. got these wonky candlesticks that were no, unique is probably the best way to put it but i loved it like giving those as christmas presents it was fantastic i think it's one of the most artistic forms of woodworking potentially artistic yeah not the stuff i was making <laughs> because it's like turning on a potter's wheel, you know, it, it's very tactile that way, very yeah. different than other forms of woodworking. And you, you see some amazing bowls and stuff like that out of oh, unusual amazing. shaped bits of wood that are just like mind blowing how, how yeah. awesome they are. But um, one of the other things I came across during COVID was um, a sawhorse. Uh, sorry, not a no shave horse, shave mm. horse, and we actually knocked one up, and the kids loved it. And so really, we were, that's cool because there was a timber shortage as well, and so we could just like chop down branches and make stools and stuff out of like you know just like making mortars and tenons on this shave horse, and it was nice. ridiculously 
mesmerizing almost it was like meditative just like just pulling with these, the draw knife yeah and, the draw knife yeah. just pulling these big curly bits very of satisfying. wood off that's yeah, yeah that's right but um and so on on top of the building like what sort of projects did you actually build up there steve oh i built a spice rack i built a bookcase well actually it wasn't a bookcase it was a it was a, a video this, this is dating it it was a vhs cabinet but it was basically <laughs> years we, we ended up using it it became a dvd cabinet and then it became a bookcase and now i don't know what, where it is somewhere it's interesting it how it's gone like books videos cds back to books so it's like the books are like it always comes back to books <laughs> yeah that was a funny one so some of those projects though they, they seem to be a lifespan on some of these things that i make and i don't know why i guess just because i make a lot of things and you know we'll use the thing for a while and then maybe we don't need it for anymore but we don't want to get rid of it so it goes up to the attic and then i think well really what we're doing is we're just putting off its eventual demise you know well yeah. we're saving that decision for a later or, or offset offsetting it to wire he's gonna to have to sort it out one day exactly yeah <laughs> so what, what would be your favorite piece that you've ever made do you think or is there a piece that's hung around hung around so longer than you would normally expect because it's just had so much utility yeah, probably the most useful piece I made is our dining table. I mean, that's something we use every single day. And I've made a couple of dining tables. The one I have on there currently just fits in there perfectly. I love the the look of it. Just fits well with the dining room and it's just it's sturdy. It's just a good piece of furniture. I I like that. Something that's very utilitarian. I, I don't really intend to make like heirloom quality furniture at all i just want to make things that are useful and look look good in our house yeah one of the recent ones i watched was when you made the small table and you used a pocket hole jig and i've only just got into pocket hole jigs and now everything is pocket hole jigs because and (laughs) and, and, and I, i love the way you actually said you know this you know it doesn't have to be high craft it just needs to do the job. And as soon as you look at it like that, and it just made me breathe this massive sigh of relief because I've been putting off making, I want to make tables, you know, for the for the house because you can make it and the way thinking, you want oh, it. And you're thinking, oh, i got to do mortise and tenons. Exactly. And, yeah. and when you went through that one, I was like, I'm totally making a table this weekend. <laughs> like, That's it. I mean, it's so, so refreshing, Steve. <laughs> yeah, well, there's there's two things a person needs to know how to make. And it's a very old discussion about woodworking is everything is either a box or a platform. So if you can make a box and you can make a table, basically all projects are just variations of those two things. And so I, I'm a real big believer in starting out with make yourself a table. Uh, a coffee table is a great place to start. It's small. It's low risk. You don't have to use a lot of wood in it. And then just make a small a box, a crate or something, and you'll learn a lot. Yeah. I've got to ask, has Wyatt, your son, actually got into woodwork with you? Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> so this is an interesting story because, all right, so I had him, and there's this mindset that I had as a new father that, yes, he's a boy. He's going to be just like dad, you know. <laughs> Chip off and the old so, block. <laughs> yeah, of course. He's, of course, he's, he's my son. He's going to enjoy everything I enjoy. And, and he was around five or six, and I'd slowly bring him out to the shop, and I'd be like, hey, you know, here's some things we can try. Here's scroll saw. Maybe you want to try that. And I would be behind him with my hands over his shoulders and guiding him through some very basic projects. And it didn't take long before I realized, God, he just is not into this at all. He would just be like, 
no. And I'd, he'd say, hey, you want to come out with me? And we could, we'll just make a little project together. Sometimes he would just kind of walk around. or <laughs> I would try to do things with him. And, and it was at that point that I realized, oh, wait a second. He's a human with his own interest in his own way of looking at the world. And he's not me. And, and it was kind of like this bittersweet moment for me. It was like, oh, okay, he's becoming his own person who doesn't have share the same interests as me. But that's great because he's got his own interests that I don't have. Yeah. And you're always going to be there. Like you'll have the door open if every does. Sure. Uh, yeah. And it might yeah. be, you know, something he just picks up later in his own place. Yeah. I didn't want to force it on him or anything. Like, get in here and make some stuff with me. Well, no. For one thing, kids have such a limited attention span at that age. You can only spend 20 minutes in the shop with them at best. You know, they're going to get started acting squirrely and want want out. Totally. Like, during COVID, I actually, one of the things I set up was, like, I was going to do this carving of, of, like, these, you get these cinder blocks? Not cinder blocks, but it's, like, really aerated concrete. And you can cut them with, with like, saws and shape them and, into, like, little statues. And it's really easy. And I, I set this whole thing. I was, this is going to be a great class. We're going to do, we're going to do this today. It took me about an hour and a half to set up. The kids went out there. They, they messed around with it with for probably no more than a minute 30. And then they were <laughs> walked up. I was like... Oh, that was an epic fail. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. <laughs> well, one thing I noticed kids like to do is sand. I don't know why. I had a couple of occasions. I used to, I homeschooled Wyatt when he was little, and we would have some homeschool groups over, and I would try to do some woodworking with them. And, boy, they loved sanding. I don't know what it was about sanding. They all like to smooth wood. Sometimes I would just give them a little block of wood and, like, smooth that out. And they love it. Oh, awesome! Well, I, I've got, I've got to ask you, what, what was you the decision behind homeschooling, and how did that go? Well, he went to kindergarten, actual school, school, and they they had a hard time keeping up with certain aspects of him. He was he was an early reader. He started I, they call it spontaneous reading, and he would read literally read street signs to us when he was three. He would, he would laugh at them and he would read things. And we were like, how do you know that? Because we never really taught him other than just reading books and everything. So he had this ability to really read well beyond his years. And they, and he was just so just bored in, in kindergarten with that. And then other things, he like writing, which now he's a writer, but at the time physically writing things he could not do he just he 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 would just like almost have a panic attack just trying to form letters and everything and so we tried working with the school and everything and eventually we're like you know maybe we should just try doing this on our own and so i ended up homeschooling him until uh, he decided he wanted to go into high school he went to a performing arts school and but so all that time and, and it was a great experience because it would you know, allow us to spend time with the things he was really interested in and let him just soar on those things. And then we could really figure out strategies for working with the other things like writing and that. And and it was a, I, I guess homeschooling for us was a very collaborative thing with him. It wasn't just like us trying to teach him something. I, I always like to think of the word homeschooling is not really the right word because we're not trying to reproduce what a school does in any way at all. It's just home learning. We just want him to enjoy the whole process of learning. And so it worked out really well. Yeah. There's a lot of, 
um, well, certainly anecdotal like stories I hear of, of it just being so much better in the sense that, you know, you, you're just letting them go nuts on their strengths and they go really like they yeah. really dive in and, and, and love something. And that's the avenue to learn many other things. Uh, like my right. my eldest, she's really into chickens and she has been for years. And like, if you want to talk to her, you talk about chickens first and she's, yeah. all, she's all across it. And it's, it's, you know, it's like she's hatching chicks right now and she's got it all That's wired. Amazing. And it's, yeah, yeah, it's really interesting that, you know, you try and steer, steer them, like you said before, into something else and, yeah. it, and it's just not, there's no, yeah, there's with- no spark. With Wyatt, it was roller coasters, anything involving roller coasters. He was, and so we could use that as a jumping off point for learning science and all sorts of things, as long as we could frame it around how does a roller coaster work and how do these things work. And uh, for as, as I guess a quote unquote teacher, I learned so much by teaching him these things because I didn't feel like I was so much as teaching him as just kind of facilitating this whole learning process, him and, and really working him being around so many other kids too that he wouldn't have been around in a classroom situation where you kind of confined your same age and demographics basically whereas in his group of friends as a seven-year-old he had friends who were 10 and he had younger friends and boys and girls and from all different backgrounds and so and he never really thought of it in the way of like he was in a certain grade and those are like those are the kids i can hang out with i can't possibly hang out with other <laughs> kids or anything. so that was kind of a cool experience for him and and would he have hung out with a, a lot more adults as well like did oh you very much so yeah learning? that was and that was part of the thing is he had no fear of just talking to adults and asking questions about things if he was if we were at a supermarket and he was curious about how you know things worked in the, the the butcher shop in the supermarket we would literally ask them he's kind of curious do you mind if he just took a look and you showed him how and they always were they loved doing that really they were always like oh yeah that'd be really cool come back here because <laughs> not a lot of kids ask you know yeah. and, so, and so he would kind of get like a real world education on all, all sorts of things and he was never afraid of just talking to adults and asking he didn't see them as i think a lot of schools put adults is kind of an adversarial position yeah that hierarchy yeah. like top down yeah you know, speak when spoken to type thing right. I, I was terrified when i was a kid to talk to adults sure yeah. <clears throat> I, I used to watch my nan who was uh, she would talk to random strangers even when we we're in germany she like would start up a conversation in different like not knowing the language and within 30 minutes that be best friends and it just blew my mind how she yeah. could just talk to anyone and and i was petrified and it took years and years before i actually overcame that so if you could actually help yeah. facilitate your child to to not right. have that problem oh, it just would open so many more doors start a podcast then you'd be able to talk to all kinds of people <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> right well steve where should people start if they want to get like, let's bring it back. Woodwork. Where should people people start? Like, <laughs> people should start on uh, YouTube is a great place for people to start woodworking. I and I would, you know, like I would plug my own course, which is at theweekendwoodworker.com, which I think is the best place to start. But there's certainly other places. But I think it is a really a, a good system of getting started, kind of in a step by step approach to learning woodworking. Yeah, I, I 
second that wholeheartedly, Steve. It's it's brilliant. It's helped me so much. So thank you so much for all the time and effort you pour into the videos and your podcast and everything. It's it's helped so many people. And I'm sure it'll continue to help people in perpetuity. So thanks so much. Uh, you're welcome and thank you. Well, thanks for listening. If you're feeling inspired to make something out of wood now, you can find links to Steve's channel and resources in the show notes for this week's episode at thedadmindset.com. If you'd like to receive an email from me when future episodes go live, just enter your email address and click subscribe on the Dad Mindset website and I'll make sure you get the very next one. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to your podcasts. Also, if you have a spare 30 seconds, if you could give the show a rating or review, I'd be massively stoked. Well, that's about it from me for now. I hope you have a great week and enjoy your caffeinated beverage. <laughs>